This is the 11 Dubcast. I'm Andy. He's Johnny. Welcome back for another week of titillating talk about whatever's happening in the Buckeye universe. You know, top of the page this week, one of the fastest wide receivers, knee, one of the fastest football players I think I've seen in my life decided to hang it up after 14 years in the National Football League. I am speaking, of course, of the legend Ted Ginn Jr. Johnny, is, is Ted again the fastest Ohio State player of my lifetime? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't, I mean, it's funny because we have all these fake 40 times that are in the Woody and, you know, all these teams like to pump up and be like, this kid ran a four, two 40, even though like Usain Bolt ran like a four, two, four and his, you know, hundred meter record. Um, I, the thing about Ted Ginn and he was, you know, his heyday was the same as my heyday in, in that he was very fast and did some incredible things at Ohio state. And I attended Ohio state at the same time. So that's basically the same thing. Did you guys have um, any classes together? No, no. I <laughs> quick side note. I, first of all, I never took, as far as I know, I mean, I took some very large classes, you know, with hundreds of people in it, but as far as I know, I did not take any classes with any football players. Um, someone who used to write for the site, Luke Zimmerman did in fact take a class with Cam Hayward and apparently was like bros with him and, and had some fun stories about that. And someone else I knew took a class with uh, Anthony Gonzalez and apparently like Gonzo, you know, it was during football season. They had some kind of project and he Gonzalez just did not have the time for anything. So he just did the entire project. It was supposed to be a group project. He showed up one day. He's like, I did it. Bye. And then just left. <laughs> yeah when i when i went i don't remember being in any classes with anyone when i was a true undergrad the first time but i i took about it wasn't quite 10 years i joked about being on the 10-year track it wasn't quite 10 years between my sophomore and junior years I, I i went pro uh as as i liked to put it at the time i went pro in broadcast uh after my sophomore year at ohio state um ohio state wasn't disappointed to see me go because i was a terrible undergraduate student at, at the beginning, I, I graduated with honors. Thank you very much. But I, uh, when I went back, um, I had physics, a physics lab with El Guapo himself. Uh, Fantastic. That, that, that was cool. Um, never interacted a single time, but saw him across the room. I was like, I know who that guy is. Good for, uh, him for being uh, in physics. Cause there's no way in hell I would be able I, to have managed that class. I mean, it was the, I mean, it was the required, you know, like the required, you know, general ed type regardless, of physics, you know, physics one Oh one to whatever it was. <laughs> uh, there were a number of football players in, I took uh, a lot of my GECs I took during summer uh, with the idea that they would be easier. I was right about that. Um, and also night classes, by the way, uh, pro tip, if anyone listening here is an undergraduate student, th that was the other secret to my graduating with honors was summer classes and, uh, and, and night classes. So, uh, I took, I think it was like bio, the second class in the bio series you were required to take. Uh, there were, a, it was a huge lecture summer, summer quarter boatload of athletes in there because one of the athletics minders would come in at random days and random times. Oh yeah. To spot check and he'd come in, he has a little list and he'd check off if all the athletes were there and then he would turn around and leave. Uh, then, then, and then I had a class at the Glenn school and it was still the Glenn school at the time with, I think, I think it was David Lighty. It was definitely a basketball player. And I'm trying to remember if Lighty, this would have been in, the, in, in 2010, probably, or maybe early 2011. I'm trying to think if, was there a period when Lighty was in a boot Oh gosh, I have no idea. Yeah, see, I'm, 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 I think it was Lighty, but but it was a basketball player who at the time was on crutches and in a boot. Uh, I'm just spitballing off the top of my head, and I can't remember for sure. I thought it was Lighty, but anyway, somebody will, somebody will maybe remember who was injured in that random time frame and hit me back. But had uh, had a class in the Glenn School with him, and he was at class every time. Very very. Uh, I don't remember an athletics minder checking on him, but he was always there. So no, so no Ted Ginn though in your no Ted Ginn no, no that's no unfortunate Ginn. and maybe maybe he was just too fast to be seen. <laughs> but um bum bum bum. Now so so I I opened this with you know maybe one of the fastest because that's what we always think about we, you know the adventure Ohio State really hasn't had a kick returner even you know come into the same zip code as as exciting and electrifying as yeah. Ted Ginn was when he held down that role and it felt like you know. When, when Teddy got a hold of the ball, there was a 50-50 chance he was going to the house with it. Right. 
it was just that exciting. And, the, and you haven't had anybody since like we've, we've, we've almost joked at different times, you know, of like whether or not some of the returners were going to cough it up or, you know, but it really was an adventure with Teddy because he was, he was going to do something incredible every time well, his hands touched the ball. I think it needs to be contextualized a little bit what he was doing, because it's not just the fact that he was an unbelievably exciting player. It's also the fact that he and Troy Smith and Antonio Pittman and these guys kind of emerged at a time when Ohio State definitely was not an exciting brand of offensive football. I mean, I know that's the joke in trestle ball and all that stuff that, you know, okay, they're just going to win by three and that's kind of what they want to do. But it was stagnant. I mean, the first half of 2004, um, I just remember people like, first of all, Mike Nugent was the MVP for the first half of 2004, (laughs) which is completely accurate. They would have, I think they started off uh, something like, I don't know, like four or four or something like that. And uh, they could have easily been like two and six or something without Mike Nugent being a complete boss. So when Ted Gid comes up and the Michigan state game in 2004, I think he scores like three touchdowns in three different ways, like a kick return, punt return, or maybe, no, it was a rushing touchdown. It was a kick return and a, uh, a reception uh, for a touchdown. And that was just such a ray of light for Ohio State fans because you were looking at a season that was already pretty crappy. You didn't really see any way out of it. It didn't look like Jim Trestle had any idea about what his offense was supposed to look like. And then a guy like Ted Ginn emerges, becomes this national sensation almost immediately. Uh, Troy Smith ends up doing some amazing things. And then I think what really cements it is when uh, Troy Smith is suspended for the Alamo Bowl. And then they have Ted Ginn like in the Wildcat doing all these other things. And there's this one crazy play at the beginning of the, the Alamo Bowl where he like he reverses his field. Like he's literally on one sideline and runs to the other sideline and ends up being like a 20 yard gain. Um, that's the kind of stuff that you just as a, especially as a college student, you would just sit back and go like, this is why I follow college sports. This is why I love college football and Ohio state football, because you live for moments and players like that. And over the years, you know, there's been a lot of guys who can bring that level of excitement, but I, I really don't think, I don't think you can match what Ted Ginn brought to the Ohio state fan base at that specific time. It's not like, you know, urban Meyer, who's the next amazing guy. It was like, there's nobody. And then all of a sudden there was somebody and he was freaking amazing. So I, you know, the biggest thing for me is as I got to watch his career and I got to watch up close is that his accomplishments felt like they were our accomplishments at Ohio state. And it's just something that I, you know, I, it's a huge part of my college experience and uh, the excitement around him and Troy Smith and everything is just something that mm-hmm. I don't think we'll ever, you know, I'll be able to replicate just because it, that specific time and place, right. As a, as a college student watching other college students in Ohio stadium, it's just, it, it's a really special moment. And I, I really thank Ted Ginn for all that uh, awesomeness that he brought uh, to me and to everybody else who was on campus at the time. Cause it was, it was kick-ass. It was really great. Yeah. And to put this into context too, you know, again, still holds school records for punt return touchdowns, both career and season six in his career, four in a single season alone. I mean, that's, that's incredible as a, as a pass catcher, 135 catches over three seasons. I mean, he was really one game shy. You might as well say of being a 2000 yard receiver, he was 1943 yards. 15 mm-hmm. touchdowns, 28 carries for 213 yards, uh, three touchdowns on the ground there, you know, which is fun. Um, 64 punt returns for 900 yards and six touchdowns. I mean, it's just wild. 38 yeah. kickoff returns for a thousand yards. Yeah. Do the average, do the average on that. Like <laughs> that's, that's really crazy. good. That's I mean, that's, really that, that's incredible. Right. So, you know, the fact that now more than a decade later with some of the electric players that Ohio state has had at the skill positions that he still holds, two school records for return touchdowns. You know, that's, that's amazing. I think what's even more amazing is that you have a guy here that makes 14 years in the NFL, 14 years, like, you know, everybody doesn't do that. Right. And so to come back in as a number nine overall pick, which certainly helps with the longevity, uh, you know, that, that you were, you were pretty darn good to start with, right. uh, but six teams. So it wasn't like he was just uh, hanging out in one place for the duration of his career, but, but every time, that it, you thought, okay, this might be the end of the line. Somebody's willing to take a chance because very few people have that that incredible burst, um, and and not just burst, but the the ability to 
you know, run a hundred yards at a, at a go. Like it just, yeah. I mean, if you want to look at his, yeah, if you want to look at his NFL career and decide, you know, whether he was, you know, a bust or whatever, I think if you draft a guy in the top 10 and then he, you know, kind of doesn't end up being a top flight or a number one receiver, then I guess you'd call the guy a bust, but Ted Ginn, what is really remarkable at his NFL career is just his ability to kind of reinvent himself in, in various ways. And I, I appreciate, like you just said, man, I, I appreciate a guy who can stick around that long, figure out what you need to do, stay in the league. And that really for a guy, his age, he kept that top end speed for a long time. That guy really, really worked on himself to make sure that he was in game shape and doing what he needed to do, because you would see stuff where he's like, you know, 33, 34 years old. And like, Holy crap. Ted Ginn is still really damn fast. Like he's still one of the fastest guys in the NFL. Um, you know, you know, that the was, guy it I was fun to watch. It, it was, it, he wasn't consistent, but man, when he showed those things in the NFL from time to time, you're like, damn, I still remember what he was able to do back in, back in the day, back in college. I mean, the guy I would have liked to have seen him just straight up race was Joey Galloway. Like that, oh, sure. you know, I'm talking about a guy who could <laughs> who still also still extremely up, fast, could lace him up and go today and smoke nine out of 10 guys on the field. Oh my God. You know, it was Joey Galloway guys, guys, damn near 50 years old. And, and probably, uh, you know, like I say, can still lace it up and run a 40 faster. I'm than... sure. <laughs> yeah. That dude. Hey, hey, do you know, if, you know, how fast Joey Galloway is. I typed in Joey Galloway speed into the, uh, into the old Google and, and one of the, uh, one of the people also ask questions that they list, you know, mm-hmm. was who has the fastest 40 yard dash ever. <laughs> and, <laughs> I mean, you, you know, that you're fast when Google suggests that is one of the other questions you might want to ponder, but those two guys, you know, you, you, you would have liked to have seen at their prime, uh, in a track meet, that would have been, a, that would have been a fun one. Yeah, that would have been legit. And the thing about Joey Galloway that I also enjoy is that he's, he's exactly the kind of guy who's just waiting for somebody to, to like dare him to race him. You know what I mean? Like yes. he's just, he's praying that some idiot will be like, ah, Joey Galloway, everybody says you're fast. Like you go on the ESPN campus or something like that. And he's just like, do it, do it. I got my shoes in the car. Let's go. Please for love of God, somebody challenge me. Yeah. Um, I, I love that about him. He's definitely still a guy who can, you know, strut his stuff a little bit. I appreciate that. You know, one of the uh, one of the other players uh, that uh, I'm curious to see what his NFL career looks like would be QB number one, Justin Fields, who will be suiting up for the Bears, a team where yeah, buddy. a team where Ted again had spent uh, been, been some of his final days in the NFL. Uh, really interesting story from Jory Epstein at USA Today this week talking about Justin Fields' uncanny recall. So I think a lot of times we as as football fans focus on the physical gifts. And Justin Fields certainly has a lot of them. But one of the things that, you know, usually only gets reserved for guys that you don't think of as being super athletic, like, let's say, for example, a Tom Brady, is how smart they are, their cerebral nature. Uh, and so I thought this was interesting. The The article talked about his his mental checklist and and Fields' ability to read the field and and to recall and remember the playbook and so on his his football intellect and specifically his memory. So so my question for you, Johnny, is what kind of NFL career do you think is is Fields in the right place where he's a guy we're going to be talking about 14, 15 years from now as having had uh, a great NFL career? I think he has the tools for it. The thing about the NFL for me is so much about just where you end up when you need to be there. If that makes sense, like you got to be at the right place at the right time. And there are a lot of guys that I still consider to be really talented who would have done really well in the NFL, but for whatever reason, didn't end up at the right, you know, spot. They didn't have the right coaching. They didn't have the right kind of team around them. Like Trevor Lawrence may very well, I think end up being a really, really great NFL quarterback, but that's that's really a boomer bust situation in Jacksonville. You know what I mean? Like that's something that could go really well for him. That's something that could go really poorly for him. And I don't know that's necessarily commentary on Trevor Lawrence. I think Justin Fields in Chicago is a really good fit, at least culturally. Like the city loves the dude. He's embracing it. They want him to succeed. They'll give him every opportunity to succeed. I agree with you though that the underrated aspect of this, particularly with quarterbacks, is you know the mental game and. 
what's funny is because I, I read the same article you did and it's interesting to me. I always think of um, LeBron James when people mention this kind of stuff because you see all these, you know, post-game interviews and stuff with LeBron James and, you know, occasionally a reporter just for the hell of it will ask him a very specific question about a play that happened three or four years ago. And, you know, LeBron will give a player-by-player -player breakdown of what they were doing and when exactly for some random you know, regular season game that he played 20 minutes in, you know, in 19 or in 1997 and in 2017 or something like that. Um, it's just, it's really remarkable that some of these guys are able to leverage their innate intelligence with a violent contact sport or a sport that requires a lot of finesse or creativity. And it's just, it's really fascinating to watch because I certainly don't have that. <laughs> well, I don't have that skill. And I think it's really cool to watch it when players do have that skill. When you see that, you know, the really cerebral guys like, you know, a LeBron James or a, you know, Aaron Rodgers or something like that. It's just, it's, it's cool to watch. I like that. I thought this was wild. They talked about in the story about um, a, a test that a sports psychologist named Scott Goldman put together called the Athletic Intelligence Quotient. So 387 NFL prospects this year took this Athletic Intelligence Quotient test, uh, and it has a variety of things on there like learning efficiency, visual spatial processing, decision-making, reaction time. And in the section about learning efficiency, it was 16 questions, field Fields went 16 for 16. Now, you might say, all right, that's really good. Do you know how good that is? Of 125 professional quarterbacks who have taken this test over the past decade, four previously had hit 16 for 16. That's pretty wild. Four out of 125 quarterbacks. Now, well, you know, this thing, were those four able to combine both the athleticism and the intelligence to have well, a great NFL career? I mean, and, that's... and frankly, this is the whole reason I brought this up because I think with a player like Justin Fields, it's so easy to focus on the athletic aspect of the position because the right. God given talents are immense, right? His right. ability to throw a ball, his ability to run with a ball. You know, it, it doesn't necessarily take a lot of brilliance to run fast and hit hard, right? Like those are athletic, you know, God-given gifts. But but the intellectual part of it that is so important, especially at that level in the National Football League, because the most athletic guys in the league aren't necessarily the best quarterbacks. Right. And here you have an example, because I just don't think that's been talked about enough with Justin Fields and how how smart and savvy he is because it's so easy to focus on the athletics. So I, I really appreciated the story. And if people didn't read it, I would invite you to go back and do it because I, I having no rooting interest for the bears whatsoever, whatsoever, I'm really excited to see this guy lace him up because I think he's going to be fantastic. Oh, I'm going to watch bears games. I don't, I mean, I, if I can, I mean, obviously it's not super easy in central Ohio to check them out all the time, but you know, I'm, I'm definitely down for seeing how he kind of evolves and, and, progresses over the course of the season because i agree like that's he really is the total package in a lot of ways and uh i think it's cool as hell that he's in chicago too i think that's fun uh, that you know what i mean like it'd be one thing i don't know why i had this kind of bias but if you were in like miami or something like that i i don't know that i would be as excited but because it's a midwest city because it's chicago i don't know something about it just it, it feels like a good fit and i'm more excited for him than i would be if he were in some place that i can't really feel like i vi i can visualize i guess if that makes sense mm -hmm. so i'm 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 excited for the dude i think it'll be great and uh it'll be you know the other thing that people like to do is they like looking at all the other quarterbacks that were taken in the draft and you know kind of see where everybody's at in a couple years and whatnot i i think justin fields has a really good shot at being the quarterback coming out of that draft with the best actual career if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, he's not, he, you know, if you're drafted in the first round and you're a quarterback, you're going to have all the tools at your disposal. People are going to be helping you out. You're going to have as many chances as you need. Um, but I, I really do think he's set up well, and I think he's going to do well. So it'll be fun to watch. And, and but the flip side of that is we have to acknowledge that, you know, it, it, it is very difficult to make it work. It is oh, yeah. very difficult to make it go. And you need a good situation. You need to have a good support team. You need to have a you know coaching staff that you trust that will be good for you. I mean, that's, that's and, and, and you have to look no farther than Ohio State's own Dwayne Haskins, who right. in, you know got drafted into maybe a not so great situation, 
uh, and, you know, maybe in, in his last chance uh, in, in the NFL, you know, mm-hmm. we, uh, he made the news for a bit of an unfortunate reason this week uh, after a bit of a dust up with his significant other in Sin City. And, and I don't necessarily want to get into the details of that and to talk about Dwayne. But my question, I guess, Johnny, is can, can Haskins make it in Pittsburgh or are, are we seeing, you know, one of our favorite quarterbacks in recent memory at the college level? become Ohio state's uh, next bust in that long line of quarterbacks who didn't hack it at the next level. I, I mean, I know, I know you would love Andy for him to do amazingly well. That's why I pitched you the question because I'm the biased <laughs> Steeler fan here. So yeah, I was giving this to you for that reason. I don't think, I don't think so. I think the dude is unfortunately done. Um, it's not, and again, it has nothing to do with his abilities as a guy who can just like launch the ball down the field. His physical abilities are incredible, but I read some reports on him uh, where they were talking about, you know, what he looked like in OTAs and all that kind of stuff. And it just, it does not look like he is where he should have been uh, going into the NFL when it comes to understanding defenses and offenses and all that kind of stuff. Um, I just think he was too far behind and he was put in a situation where it was going to be too difficult for him to learn. So I just, I think it's pretty much done for him, which is unfortunate because physical attributes through the roof, the guy can, you know, throw a frozen rope 60 yards, but um, I just don't think he was ever really set up well to succeed. And then the NFL and part of it's because he, you know, didn't have a lot of time in college, honestly, um, to get all that stuff down. So I, yeah, I don't know how you feel about it, but I, I think it's, I think Dwayne Haskins, unfortunately, is pretty much done so in the NFL. I, I mean, it's, it, it's a heartbreaker for me, not, not because of the stem, you know, I joke about being the, the one Steelers fan uh, on staff at 11 no. Warriors. Um, <laughs> Which you might actually be. I think, no, 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 I am. True. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty uh, sure. I mean, we have a pretty diverse fandom. You know, it's not just, yeah. you know, 10 Browns fans and me or anything right. like that. I mean, it's pretty diverse. We got, yeah, like we have some Bears Bengals fans, fans. we have yeah. Bengals fans, Browns fans. Uh, uh, but, but the reason it's such a heartbreaker is because, you know, you, so you, I, I alluded to this sort of the curse of the Ohio state quarterback in the NFL. Uh, I blame it on Arch Leister, of course, the, the, the curse. Um, <laughs> and, you know, you want to see that broken, but moreover, like Haskins is a guy that was really easy to root for at the college level, right? You know, he's yeah. a super likable guy that, like you say, the arm strength off the charts, um, you know, fantastic career. You know, he's, he just really um, did some cool things in, in the season he was at the helm. I, I loved it. And then, you know, to see them, to see him go in the first round, you're like, yeah, it's going to be a great opportunity. Not that the Redskins were one of the great franchises of all times, at least in terms of how they're run and organized, but, but you thought, you know, he's going to have some tools around him. Um, and, and man, you know, to see it go the way that it went, I don't know that I think Riverboat Ron, you know, was ever really on board with, with Haskins. Uh, well, and there was a lot of drama about a lot of drama about when he was like, whether he was the guy they really wanted and all this other stuff. And was this actually the right place for him and blah, blah, blah. And there was, I don't know that that's, I mean, was it, was it a bad pick? Was it a bad pick? I mean, in retrospect, yes, obviously. But even at the time, my thing, when I think about quarterbacks and drafting quarterbacks, and this is, this is what drives me crazy about the NFL draft, which is there's so much BS build up between the end of the college football season, and the actual draft, you have no idea who's good anymore. So for me, it's just about reps and, and is the person that you're drafting consistent. Dwayne Haskins was consistent, did not have a ton of reps. And so I don't know that I would have drafted him as high as he was drafted uh, by Washington, but I can understand why a lot of these teams go on potential and they say, well, you know, you never really know anyway. But my biggest thing is I, I get so turned off by all the horse race crap and all the, the faux analysis and everything. Uh, and those, you know, intervening months that I just look, if I'm looking up these quarterbacks, I want to see what the completion rate looked like. I want to see what their touchdown interception ratio looked like. And I want to see what their competition looked like. And that's basically it for me. A guy like Justin Fields meets hits those criteria, right, easily. Whereas if you kind of look at the career of Dwayne Haskins, you're like, okay, like tons of yardage. I don't know. It, it doesn't. It, it doesn't feel like there was enough evidence there for me. I mm-hmm. guess is what I would say. Um, yeah. So that that's kind of where I stand on that. 
not a guy I would draft. I would never draft a quarterback on potential. Let me put it that way. Mm -hmm. Um, But I know that a lot of teams do that. And I think that's a mistake. Yeah, absolutely. All right. I want to shift gears. We spent a lot of time on players in the NFL and, and uh, quarterbacks, future, present, and past. Uh, I, I want to turn to the governance of the National Collegiate Athletic Association or the organization we know and love as the NCAA. President Mark Emmert made some waves this week after uh, last month's ruling by the Supreme Court of the United States that uh, really, as you and I noted at the time, kind of took the legs out from the NCAA and a lot of its uh, arguments about amateurism and how players should or shouldn't be uh, compensated or treated financially. And and Emmert, you know, maybe uh, maybe finally getting the memo that no one really likes him or them, <laughs> said last week that the college sports industry, as it were, he notes might, in his locker about how he needs <laughs> should just stay home. Maybe should finally think about transferring more authority from the mothership to the league's conferences and individual schools. Now, I I We're brought this up and there. noted it because. You know, Gene Smith, who we talked about before as being one of, if not the most respected athletic director in the country, uh, tweeted that it is, and I quote, imperative that current governance model of the NCAA schools be restructured, exclamation point for emphasis. Smith went on to say there are so many issues that do not reflect the current environment, nor is the existing model capable of expedient change to address the new ecosystem. Well, God knows his <laughs> comment about the existing model being incapable of handling expedient change is accurate in spades. We have no further to look than how it's handled any of the recent crises in memory, including mm-hmm. but not limited to COVID-19, included but not limited to NIL, and the list goes on and on and on. So is Emmer in essence saying the Power Five will be doing its own thing, at least for uh, college football's sake, anytime soon, as we've all been talking over the past couple of years. What what do you see as the future role for the NCAA? Because it ain't what it is now. Yeah, I think it's, you know, the Holy Roman Empire is going to break up and you're going to see a bunch of like city-states all around the country, conferences trying to figure stuff out. By the way, I, I agree with you that the NCAA did a really piss poor job at handling, you know, COVID and a bunch of other stuff. Let's not pretend like the Big Ten did a super bang up job either. So I really think what Gene Smith is advocating for is Ohio State's autonomy, not necessarily like conference autonomy, which is what I think a lot of this conversation has been kind of centered around. Like, oh, okay, well, the conferences will police themselves. I don't think Gene Smith wants. Uh, you know, Kevin Warren telling him what to do. I think Gene Smith wants to be able to say what Gene Smith is going to do and Ohio State's going to do. And that's that's the issue. I don't think the NCAA is a good organization. I don't think it's a well-run organization. I don't think it acts in the interest of the student athletes that it claims to represent. However, what I will also say is that this may be kind of a be careful what you wish for situation because one crappy governing body is in some ways better than like a hundred crappy crappy governing bodies. So it, it really, really, really depends what the leadership looks like in these various schools and conferences. And in some of them, they don't really inspire a whole lot of confidence. So I, <laughs> I, I'm just saying, I, I think eventually this is leading towards, you know, the balkanization of NCAA, but I'm just, I'm just saying that doesn't necessarily mean that's going to be an improvement. Um, so I, I would worry about that a little bit, particularly if you're a smaller school, uh, that kind of like leans on larger schools for funding and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I mean, I think the other big concern I would have, frankly, is if you look at how, look, just go back to the beginning of the COVID crisis and, you know, the NCAA, as it is wont to do said, oh, hell, we don't know. And the various conferences in the power five were going to do their own thing and the big 10 and the pac 12 were like well we're going to do the responsible thing and the sec and the big 12 and the acc said f that noise we're going to play football right i mean that to me is the the perfect microcosm of what a future is like without a a centralized governing oh, sure yeah that that you're gonna you're going to basically have the conference is doing whatever the heck they want and you know, whichever conference swings the biggest stick it is the one that's going to, you know, rule the day. I, I, I guess this right. is uh yeah, that, that, that would be the concern I would, would have. Well, I believe. Here's the other thing though. Does the NCAA even care about football? 
Like, is that something that even registers on the radar? Because their big money maker is not college football, right? Yeah, their, right. Their big money maker is March Madness. So if that's the one thing they want to kind of be the governing body of and hang their hat on, I, I think Mark Emmert is totally fine, you know, washing his hands of football and saying, like, I'm done with this crap. I, I can't do anything right. Everybody hates me. No matter what I decide to do, everybody yells at me. And it's not fair. I'm just going to go and play basketball. Nobody's going to have to say boo about that. Um I, I understand that perspective. They still make crap tons of money off of March Madness. Why not just focus on that and say we're a basketball organization? Because I I don't see the downside for them uh, in letting that go. Yeah, right. and it is really interesting to, th- to think about, you know, the history involved of how it came to be that the NCAA basically makes no money off of college football relative to the other tournaments and championships that it runs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's... <laughs> it's it's kind of wild like everything else just stems from march madness that's that's the entire gig like that's it um so i can understand emmert being a little you know laissez-faire about uh about football which may shock some people and so maybe that's where a guy like gene smith sees an end and says all right well these guys they're they're done with this let's just you know regulate our own crap they can govern this gigantic tournament and we can say that's why they're doing it but as far as the playoff goes like you know eight teams whatever you know who cares we can we can do that ourselves um but like i said just be careful what you wish for because i think ultimately uh you're not going to see you're not going to see some great advancements in uh, organizational capacity or anything like that just because mark emmer and the ncaa is out of the way i I think you're still going to see a lot of the same problems so of course gene referenced in his tweet the new ecosystem he was referring specifically of course to nil which we have talked about at length (laughs) right which the ncaa has provided no guidance on and basically said do what you want and then the big 10 has also provided very little guidance and said do what you want and then schools have just kind of just said like okay well this school will be able to do this higher state's not going to let you do this within two weeks all this other crap i just i don't know that's that's actually to my point is that it's not necessarily going to be great for everybody if if a large organizational you know, body just decides to wash their hands of a situation. And of course, athletes are already out there making it rain in theory. Uh, we oh, have yeah. seen any number of um, Ohio State University student athletes, not just football, a uh, number of, of uh, wrestlers that I follow have shown up with some NIL type deals out there. And I'm, I'm sure some of the other um, sports have as well. I don't know if I've seen any big basketball deals yet percolate. Um, their, their time in theory will come. But the question becomes is, could could we see student-athletes becoming uh, figurative and literal billboards? Uh, as we learned last week, Big 12 coordinator of officials Greg Burks, uh, speaking at the conference's media day, said a technicality in the NCAA rules, and I love this, has created a gray area that could allow individual athletes to stick endorsements or advertisements on their uniforms this fall yeah how how you say well burks explained that the ncaa has now okayed a 16 square inch patch that is four inches by four inches in other words for any sentiment that you want to hold on to burks said so unity whatever it may be and the individual player can wear that not everyone has to wear that so the question becomes when it's uh related to nil if that player wants to take his 16 square inch patch and put a sponsor on it can he do that? And that's the gray area he talked about. Johnny, are we on the cusp of college football uniforms going the way of soccer style kits with sponsors and branding and so on on the unis? What say you? Not not that crazy, but they'll do what basketball's doing, right? Where they've got a little patch on the side, you know, that's whatever muffler store or uh burger king decided to sponsor your team you know same kind of deal i think i think you'll i think you'll go with that i think that's something that you'll probably see i'm a little surprised that there hasn't been more push for that already honestly i know that college sports is kind of a different beast than professional sports but it's it's real estate it's real estate to put an ad on and i i would not be surprised if something like that happened and if student look if that's allowed and there's nobody to say no then i think well, of course, the school think, could say no, right? So the yeah, school the school could say no, and can, if, if the school says no, then you're not going to be able to do it. But if they don't say anything about it, and they don't want to maybe like you know take away a recruiting tool, right? 
was like, well, we, we let you put your ads on your Jersey or whatever. I don't know. I don't know if that's how far people allow it to go, but like, I, I hope every student who's able, every student athlete who's able to takes advantage of this. I really do. Because I want to see not just ads. I want to see the goofiest crap imaginable. I, you know, if they want to wear like, you know, I love anime and they put on like a Naruto pin or like Pokemon or whatever. <laughs> like I, I just want to see the weirdest, wildest crap on there. And I, I don't know. I'm all for it. I think that would be hilarious. So yes, put on an ad, put, I, I don't know put a screen cap of saved by the bell that people have to zoom. I don't care. Just do whatever the hell you want. I, I just want it to be interesting. That's what I'm asking. I think, uh, you know, the, the old curse was, may you live in interesting times. Yeah. I think we're, I think we are entering interesting times, my friend in college sports. Uh, and, and this could just be, uh, one in many plot lines in that story. Another story that surfaced this week, I thought was, was kind of funny. Adam Rittenberg writing at ESPN graded the current football subdivision head coaches, a uh, football bowl subdivision head coaches, the FBS as it were by how well they performed during their playing days. Several uh, big 10 coaches played the game of football prior to entering the ranks of coaches. Uh, your friend and mine, Jim Harbaugh uh, was top of the class. The most successful current FBS head coach, according to Rittenberg's subjective ranking. I love Pat Fitzgerald uh, came in number two on the list. Uh, the, the, the fellow that uh, fans of the Ohio state university football team will, will be curious to learn was number 43 on the list quarterback of New Hampshire, Ryan day. Uh, did you get a kick out of this list? I mean, is this pure off season content, my friend? Yeah, that's, that's one percent off season content. I, <laughs> Sometimes I think that like the worse a coach was the, the angrier they get about like other players not living up to what they want. You know what I mean? Like it's like, you know, you've got to prove that I can do this. Like I'm not that big of an idiot, but I do appreciate, I do appreciate when coaches like, you know, Spurrier, right. Won a Heisman, you know? So I, I think that's kind of kick-ass when they come back and they can show the kids how to do it and whatnot. I think it's kind of fun. But on the other hand, you get shirtless Harbaugh you know, awkwardly catching a football sometimes. So, I, I mean, the yeah. fact that PJ Fleck, you know, who I don't know anything about PJ Fleck's football career. I got to be honest with you, but like when I see him running up and down the sidelines, rowing the boat, it, you know, it doesn't just jump off the page to me and be like, I bet that dude was a hell of a football player. Luke fickle coming in at number 26, by the way. Now I know that guy was a hell of a football player. Uh, um, and so the, that PJ Fleck was one spot on the list behind Luke fickle that jumped off the page at me. And, and four spots after that was good old Brady Hoke, former friend of the program, Brady Hoke, you Fantastic. know, a top, a top 31 entry in, in Rittenberg's. I, yeah, I just got a kick out of this. Uh, other names that showed up there, of course, Bert Bielema, uh, another another former foil, uh, number 68. I'm still salty that uh, Sweat Hog has me blocked on Twitter, um, <laughs> which was DJ Burns's fault in, in a roundabout way, uh, <laughs> as many things I, I think probably are. Yeah, and and uh, Paul Crest, you know, this is the one that surprised me. Paul Crest, now that's a guy when I look at him on the sidelines, I'd be like, I bet that dude was a hell of a football player. And he only came in number 82, two spots behind Dabo Swing. Hmm. I don't know. Jim Trestle, were he still coaching, probably would be very low on that list because he is five feet tall and played quarterback. <laughs> like so. quarterback, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, let's take us to ask us anything. Speaking of pure off-season content, what, what did the loyal listening audience have for us this week? Wait, wait, don't tell me yet because I want to remind – Everyone that the 11 Dubcast is sponsored by the dry goods store at 11 warriors hats, stickers, shirts, barware, anything you can dream of. We probably have a really clever snappy version of it that you will love better than the version you have already, except no substitutes. Visit the dry goods store at 11 warriors. That's dry goods. Dot 11 warriors.com. Johnny, what do the readers have in the mailbag for us this week? Well, let's do some, yeah, let's do some ask us anything. You can send us questions to dubcast at 11 warriors.com. And our first question is, of course, from our good friend Alvin, who wants to know, with the release of Space Jam, the squeakquel, I don't remember. <laughs> anyway, Space Jam, uh, a new jam. Uh, what's the one movie you wish would release a sequel? Spaceballs 2, The Search for More Money. Oh, God. I don't know if you remember that, but as soon as you said Space, Space Jam, Balls? the squeakquel, 
I, I just am reminded of the great scene where they visit yogurt, uh, of course, you know, yeah. Mel, Mel Brooks and his uh, homage to Master Yoda in, in his temple. And they go over to the gift shop and they've got the, the little lunchbox and, of course, poking fun at all of the Star Wars merch that's out there. And, uh, and he says, until we all get together again for Spaceballs 2, the search for more money. And I just I don't know why that line of all the great lines in that film uh that one just has always stuck with me because it 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 cracks me up and and that was you know you said last week something about the uh the the high uh, i'm trying to remember how you phrased it but uh, high concept 80s films that oh, yeah. was not a high concept 80s no, films but not. the other thing that the 80s did really well were schlocky sequels <laughs> comedy films like think That's about true. airplane 2 oh yeah where it's like a spaceship <laughs> it was a space and robert oh, stack i think was in that yeah. uh I, yeah, that, I mean, there were just some really great schlocky comedy sequels. That's true. In in the eighties, so Caddyshack uh, Two, probably yeah, the worst movie ever made. Yeah, I mean, and and they were generally really terrible. Like yeah. Airplane, the original, hilarious. I could stop and watch that anytime that it's showing on one of the forty eleven uh, movie channels we get at our household. Uh, Airplane Two, no, I'm not going to subject myself to that <laughs> second time. I don't need to do that. Yeah, I've seen Airplane probably 15 times, and it's still hilarious. It's it is. So it's a great. I mean, it's a great movie. movie. You couldn't make that movie today, but it's a great movie. I'm, yeah. I'm trying to think of, of a real, a, a real answer to this question of a movie. I don't. I will tell you this. First of all, I watched the Space Jam sequel. It's garbage, just straight trash. I, I do not enjoy that. <laughs> I, I haven't watched it all and frankly, I haven't had any desire to watch yeah, it. It's, it's it's just... Simultaneously, I loved Space Jam, the original, but I haven't had any great yen to go back and rewatch it either. That's not a good movie either, but at least it's like absurd when... It's absurd in the sense that like you know, Bill Murray shows up and then R. Kelly's singing a song and then, you know, Bugs Bunny's kissing Elmer. F like there's just, there's so much insane crap going on at any given time. They're like, wow, what am I watching? Like you it's, that's, what's interesting about it. But the new movie is literally just an hour and a half long advertisement for Warner brothers properties. And that's literally it. There's no, it's, there's no fun. There's no joy. You're not watching it because of Looney Tunes you're watching it because you've seen a Warner brothers movie and you're going to have them reference every Warner brothers movie for the past 50 years. And it's just not fun. Um, the movie though, that I would say that I, the thing is, like I said, I don't, I don't think I don't like comedy sequels. I don't think those work very well in part because they literally just do the exact same jokes that they did in the first movie. And I just, I can't, it's not funny the second time. I don't, I don't really like comedy sequels as a general rule. I don't think they're good. Um, in fact, I think they're generally much worse, but there are a number of movies where I'm like, you know, I really like the story, how it was going. I'm curious to see what might happen next. And a lot yeah. of times those are like the heavier, like, or, or like weirder dramas and stuff. And so I was thinking about this, like I was thinking about this movie the other day. It was a really uh, weird uh, Paul Thomas Anderson movie, Punch Drunk Love with Adam Sandler. Yeah. And the whole movie almost kind of feels like a prequel to a romance. I know that's kind of the point. Like it's about him falling in love with this other person and they're super weird together and he's got anger issues and stuff like that. I just feel like there's more that you could mine from that. Maybe a later point in the relationship. I, I think those kind of things are interesting. Coen Brothers never make sequels, like right. which they're not, they shouldn't. But I will say that like there's there's fertile ground there for certain things, not necessarily for a movie, but like with Fargo, right? Like when they announced that they were going to make a TV series of Fargo, like, ah, give me a break. Like, that's terrible. How are you going to do that? And then it turned out like it was several, like really, really good seasons of television. So maybe not in the sense that there's a TV or a, a movie, but I think there would be a cool TV series based on like Miller's Crossing or something like that, or even Blood Simple, which is like one of their first movies. I think that would be really, really cool. Nice. Yeah, so that's I what I'm thinking. I don't have a real answer to this question, Alvin. I'm I'm sorry to disappoint. Yeah, I I love movies, but I I'm really drawing a blank of of something. So Men yeah, in Black Seven. Five. What are we up to now? You know, <laughs> I think five. I think it would literally be five. I think they could do a yeah. fifth Men in Black because they did the international one. Yeah, yeah. Now I, see, and I, I will say I am excited actually for the next uh, in the Fast and Furious series. Like for whatever reason. I have enjoyed all 14. Didn't they go to those. space? Didn't they go to space in the most recent one? Uh, I think I'm still too behind on that. Oh, okay. So we went Sorry, back. I that spoiled was, it. They go no, to no, space. Oh, yeah, hell, it wouldn't surprise The International me, right? Space Station, and they do. They do Freddy Krueger and Jason went to space. I mean, why not? You know? Yeah. 
<laughs> that's a serious movie that that whole thing is ridiculous. Do, you know like i i, I want to see the next mad max movie actually that's another one i want to say hey that was a great you know fury road was really good yeah, i was incredible i was movie. super I love impressed that with that and i loved the the originals i mean that was you know that was classic yeah uh okay next question here this is from joshua f who wants to know this is a great question what does the ideal nap look like for you do you want a quick 15 minute power nap or a nice long three hour refresher do you want it to be in the bed or on the couch out in a hammock etc is it planned or are you drifting off while watching tv or listening to audio mm -hmm. of some kind give us mm -hmm. all the details by the way that's super creepy and i hope you're not like actually like looking into my <laughs> living room as i'm reading this I need to know the dates and times that you fall asleep. Um, my, I like a longer nap. I like a good hour and a half, two hour nap. And I like doing it just in my bed. And, Cause like, feel, look, if I'm going to sleep, I want to sleep. Right. So I want a nice, if it's in the middle of the day, I want the curtains drawn. I want it to be dark in my room. I want to be nice and cool and take a nice, like two hour nap. I want a, a little nice sleep. And you know what? Some people are like, okay, well I took a nap. So I don't, you know, I'll stay up a little later. Nope, not Johnny. I'm going to bed at the same time. I don't care. You, just, I just got extra sleep. I'm not wasting that. What are you talking about? So yeah. that's that's my nap. You know, I when, when nothing I, in the background either. Too, by the way, I just I, nice and quiet. Go to bed. So one of the things I'll I'll credit my dad with. So when we were when like little kids, my my brother and I, I mean like you know baby to you know toddler stage. You know how like when when somebody has a baby and they put the baby down for a nap and they're so like relieved that the baby has finally gone to sleep or finally is taking a nap. And so then, you know, when somebody starts talking, they're, shh, you wake the baby or you know, shh, the baby. Dad's rule was no, that we're not tiptoeing around the babies. The babies will learn to sleep. The children will learn to sleep. The adults mm. are not, you know, and this is sort of a. I think a generational thing, like our generation of parents, you, you, you and I, I mean, as parents, like we're, you know, we're much more kid centric in our, in our paradigm, you know, our parents' generation, certainly my parents, like, you know, dad, dad's the guy that like worked two jobs and would sacrifice anything for his kids. But the kids, you, the adults did not change their behavior for the children. Right. right. So, so in other words, like dad really liked to stay up late and watch John Wayne movies. So, you know, at 10 o'clock at night in our single family ranch, I was going to bed and dad's sitting, you know, you might as well say 15 feet away because we lived in a small house watching John Wayne on the television and dad listened to it at a normal volume. So we, we had to learn to go to sleep. So I credit dad with that because I can sleep anywhere now. Yeah. I mean, you can run the marching band through my house. And if I'm sleeping, I can sleep. Uh, so I have mastered the ability to do that 15 minute power nap. Cause there were many times, uh, in my radio days in particular, I'd be driving home from a late night speaking engagement at, you know, the Coshocton County Cattlemen's Association or something along those lines. And I'd yeah. have a two hour drive at, you know, 10 o'clock at night and I got to get up at 4am to do the morning show. <laughs> so you set that sucker on cruise control, take a little power nap while you're driving. Well, you know, you know how that is like when you realize that you're drifting toward the phone poles. So uh -huh. you find a spot, put it over, set a timer on your thing for 15 minutes, you know, nap and then go on that 15 minutes, you know, that 15 minute nap probably saved my life a dozen times because you just, you, you realize like, Hey, this is getting sketchy take the nap and go on, you know, maybe you find a rest area or whatever it happens to be. So I can do that nap. I think that where you get into trouble napping is that no man's land between the 15 minute and that nice long siesta. Mm -hmm. It's that shorter, you know, you get me in that half hour, 40 minutes range, then that's just enough nap to piss you off as daddy. Oh yeah. You get really angry when you wake up really like, got oh, screw this. This sucks. A exactly right. You know, so, you know, the other, the, the, the one I'm, I'm really bad about drives the stunning Mrs. Vance crazy is, you know, around about 11 or so when we're thinking about maybe it's time to, to, to start heading toward uh, bedtime, like depending on what we're watching on television, if it's not something that I'm like super emotionally invested in, you know, three quarters of the way through an hour long program, I might start to doze off. Yeah. And, you know, you kind of take that pre bed nap <laughs> on the couch. I don't know right. if anybody else does this. My mother was, was, and, and probably still is, I haven't asked her, but, uh, was world's worst about, you know, if we were watching a movie, you know, at home when we were kids, 
he'd be sitting there on the couch and watching a movie and we knew the movie was really good if mom would stay awake for the movie <laughs> like, like there were only a couple that's a good of metric movies. that's a really yeah. good metric yeah it was mom's like that awake. was i was like okay this should have been an oscar winner because mom stayed awake right for the movie, you know so that uh yeah i um i don't do i don't do a whole lot of naps um otherwise like you know they're very very uncommon um for us to just take a nap in the, the middle of the day or the yeah afternoon. i'm definitely a nap guy but i gotta tell you something uh, i feel like those days are numbered so yeah yeah that's why i don't take them yeah, yeah. <laughs> why i don't take them you know? i'm taking them while i can get them i guess is what i'm saying please please, please enjoy it smoke them while you got them because that's right exactly yeah, yeah so those are ask us anything questions this week thank you for sending those in those are excellent and uh we'll keep answering them yeah great questions absolutely thank you johnny a couple of quick hits before we put this thing to bed and call it a day uh nebraska has a new athletic director, Trev Alberts. Yes, that Trev uh, Alberts, former former foil, uh, the the pre Mark May uh, jackass on ESPN's College Game Day programming, is the new athletic director of the Nebraska Cornhuskers. Johnny uh, Lightning Round, your gut reaction when you heard that Trev Alberts was the new AD at Nebraska? Uh, they're not going to get in the AAU with that attitude. That's, uh, <laughs> you got to bring in somebody with a little more prestige than old Trev. It's not going to work. My, my, my reaction was like, Oh, that guy's still around, huh? Yeah. <laughs> there was, there's a name I haven't thought of in a oh, I don't know, 12 or 13 years. I, I learned through this process that he has apparently been an athletic director at, at one of the directional Nebraska schools. Um, I guess they Are don't do directions. They know they, they're not directions. They, they make uh was it like you? Yeah. Nebraska, Omaha, university of Nebraska, Omaha. I see. Um, for, I don't know, like 10 or 12 years or something like he'd been there quite a while. Okay. Uh, in between, you know, after Mark may took his, his gig at, uh, ESPN, that was kind of yeah, being resident troll. And then he decided I'll be a athletic director. That's I, I realized that and if it works out and he knows what he's doing, then that's good. Then that, I mean, that I, I realized that he is a name, you know, in terms of like having history at Nebraska, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I thought that was kind of, Oh, that was kind of weird. A kind of a weird hire, uh, I guess. You know, I, I think it's one of those places where they just kind of they they really, you know, we talk we make jokes about the Michigan man, right? And how Michigan like we got to get the Michigan man, and they're the only the only person who knows how to run Michigan's a Michigan man. I I think that that same uh, disease infects a lot of organizations like that. We just and, don't have a clever alliterative name for the particular disease, we're right? Talking about. Yeah, a Nebraska nerd or something like that. There there's there's definitely a lot of that kind of like ingrained nepotism where it comes to like, well, you know, he may not have the experience, but he's from here. So that works us. I I didn't realize how much Trev Alberts looked like Dan Dockich um, until I saw his (laughs) headshot in the press release. That's kind of weird. Uh, And then final thing we'll send you off with this week, the big 10 media days happen. Uh, We'll have a trio of uh, Buckeyes representing the Ohio State University in Chicago at Media Days. Chris Olave, Thayer Munford, and Zach Harrison will be the Buckeyes who got the nod. Uh, Olave, no surprise there, already named as a preseason All-American. Thayer Munford, fifth-year senior defensive tackle, also a preseason All-American. And uh, Zach Harrison, the junior defensive end, expected to be one of the top defensive players for the Buckeyes this season. They will meet with the press on Friday, the second day of Big Ten Media Days. And, of course, you can read our staff's exceptional coverage as i said earlier except no substitutes you'll find it at 11warriors.com later this week just want to give you a quick hit on that and with that we'll call it a day until next week i'm andy i'm johnny we'll see you on the dubcast